Okay, we are, uh, we are in, have been in the book of the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel according to Matthew, and uh, we're going to continue in that series this morning. Today, the temptation of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11 will be our text this morning. Um, our youth minister, uh, Christo, and I were uh, talking the other day about how, how as you grow older, uh, you begin to lose touch with uh, the younger people coming up behind you. Have you noticed that? <laughs> uh, you know, our life experiences that we had growing up uh, become foreign to young people. Can somebody uh, pull that blind shut just a little bit? Right there. Good. Not that one, that one. Okay. Okay. I can see now. Oh, there you are. Okay. Um, whew, got to get those spots out of my eyes first. Um, our life experience becomes foreign, experiences become foreign to younger people. You know, things that we enjoyed when we were are younger are just unknown to the latest generation. Uh, we've all experienced that. This can be seen when we talk about entertainment, you know, the things we like, the music, the sports, movies, TV shows that we enjoyed, you know, are completely unknown to kids that are maybe just one generation behind us. Um, even Chris, who's only 28 years old. Uh, can see this in the youth that he works with here at Stony Brook. But recently in a, in a youth class when he threw out a line from the 90s TV show, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, um, uh, starring Will Smith. They'd never heard of that show. They'd heard of Will, Will Smith from the recent Aladdin movie, but, <laughs> but they'd, they'd never heard of The French, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, uh, I remember a, a time in the 90s and in the early 2000s when every child could quote verbatim the line of that opening theme song. Uh, maybe some of you all could do that. I remember at camp one year, uh, I just got it started, and there was a hundred and some kids. They all said it in unison together. Uh, but now kids don't have no idea about that show at all. Now, now throw in something from my generation <laughs> to younger people, uh, two or three generations behind, uh, and it's even worse. Like... The Flip Wilson Show, <laughs> which aired uh, from 1970 to 1974. How many, how many people used to watch that show? Got uh, just this whole group over here and a couple over here. <laughs> uh, uh, how many of you have never heard of The Flip Wilson Show? Okay, several. <laughs> all, these, all these millennials out here. <laughs> um, Chris, uh, Chris had... He had heard of it from his grandmother. He'd hear his grandmother talk about it. But, but he had, had no idea and had never seen the show. Now, to show our age, how many of you remember the character that Flip played? Geraldine. Geraldine Jones. Um, anyone remember her boyfriend's name? Killer. Or Killa. <laughs> and what was his most famous, or her... Most famous line. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Now, Geraldine was not the most virtuous person in the world. Uh, and the excuse that she would give for her faults was that the devil made her do it, whatever it was. <laughs> you know, well, in our text this morning, we're going to see Jesus uh, encounter the devil. Uh, uh, and not in, on a comedy show, but in real life. And, and we're going to see that while the devil does try to tempt us to sin, he does not make us do anything. Gerald, Geraldine didn't know what she was talking about. 
because it's the desires of our flesh that ultimately, ultimately leads all of us to sin. Uh, Jesus was tempted just as you and I are tempted in, in life. Uh, his flesh had the same desires that our flesh has. Yet, Jesus never satisfied those desires by sinning. Some desires that our flesh has are not sinful, but others are. And Jesus never satisfied those desires that were sinful. So we look in our text this morning, starting with Matthew 4, verse 1 through 3. Let's read. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You know, after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, uh, Jesus is taken away by the Holy Spirit to a desert where he's alone and fasting for 40 days. That's a long time to fast, uh, to be without food. And so his body was very weak due to the lack of nourishment that would happen to anyone uh, who doesn't eat. And Satan then sees a chance for Jesus. Now, it's, it's, not, it's not a great chance, <laughs> not a great chance. The odds are low that anything's going to happen. But, but a chance nonetheless for Satan to try to trap the Son of God in his weakness. Satan visits Jesus in the desert to tempt him to sin. Now, we need to understand that it is vital, it is vital that Jesus never sin. Not one time. You know, if, if, if he's going to be our Savior, he cannot sin. His sacrifice on the cross must be that of a perfect human being. Now, he's also the Son of God, but he's also very much human. And that life that he lived as a human has to be perfect for it to mean anything for us. His first test was in the desert during his 40-day fast when Satan joined him and tried to make Jesus fall. Satan confronted Jesus with, with three temptations. Even more specifically, with three types of temptations. The lust of the flesh the boastful pride of life, and lust of the eyes. And basically, these three types of temptations pretty much cover every temptation that any of us will ever face in life. We can probably put them in one, one of these three categories, any sin we face. So Jesus gets all three of them during this encounter uh, with Satan in the desert. Let's take a look this morning at, uh, at these three types of sin, and see how Jesus handled them, and then think about how we can handle them, too. The first one was the lust of the flesh. Let's read verse 2 and 3 uh, again. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, Jesus is first tempting tempted to feed himself miraculously. You know, at first, we might think, well, you know, what's the big deal about that? What, what, what would be wrong about just making food for yourself if you're hungry? Uh, and that's, that's, that's true. It's, it's not a big deal. It wouldn't really have been a big deal for him except for one thing. 
Um, you know, you know he, he could miraculously have fed himself. Uh, in fact, he, would, he didn't need stones to turn into bread. He could have just said, boom, there's a big loaf of bread right there, uh, fresh out of the oven. And he could have eaten that or, or anything else he wanted to create miraculously. But why would this be a sin for him? Well, let me ask you, as a human, how many of you, raise your hand, if you can turn stones into bread. Look, raise your hand real high so I can see. Anybody, anybody here can turn stones into bread? <laughs> now, I'm sure some of you have made some bread that seem like stone. <laughs> um, uh, but none of us, as humans, can, can turn a stone into bread, right? Because we can't perform miracles. Um, uh, if Jesus was going to be our Savior, Jesus had to be fully human in every way, which meant that, that he would have to live by the same rules of nature that you and I do, get his food from the same place that you and I get them from, if he's going to be a real human who's experiencing the same experiences that we have. So to create food miraculously for himself would have been a misuse of his divine power. You know, his power, if you, if you notice as you look through Scripture, was always reserved for others, never himself. You know, uh, if he started using miracles to avoid discomfort, you know, maybe created some air conditioning, you know, just uh, uh, in, a, in a house that he lived in or something like that. You know, if he had just gone about making him, his life comfortable by miracles, you know, he would have never made it to the cross because that would be too uncomfortable. He could have miraculously just gotten out of the whole thing. You know, as, as much as Jesus' flesh wanted food, it would have been wrong for him to just create it miraculously for himself. You know, like you and me, Jesus needed to rely on God to take care of his physical needs. As the Israelites uh, relied on God to provide food uh, for them when they, were, when they were in the desert for 40 years, uh, with manna and uh, the things that they needed and uh, the, the, the quail. Uh, Jesus put his trust in God to protect him. Uh, not by his own power, egged on by some suggestion that, that Satan made, but just to put his trust in God. You know, Satan loves to tempt you and me in the very same way. He knows what our flesh likes Every single one of you, and every single one of you likes different things. Your flesh wants different things. He especially knows what our weaknesses are. As much as you do, maybe even more than you do, he knows what your weaknesses are. And it's different for each one of us. My weakness is not the same as yours, and yours is not the same as, as, uh, as others. You know, for some, your weakness might be food. You know, maybe you haven't been fasting for 40 days and, and are just hungry because of that, but you just love food <laughs> to the point that you abuse it uh, by eating too much or eating the wrong things. And as a result, your, your health is hurt by it. For others, it might be something like sex. You know, we're, we're probably the most oversexed society since the ancient Romans of Jesus' day. Uh, the, the introduction of the pill, the, the free sex rebellion of the, the late 60s, uh, the development of, of the porn industry, which uh, produces more than $12 billion profit annually in the United States, from magazines in the 50s to adult films to the industry's explosion 
on the internet. Our culture attempts to push God out of our societies, including our, his moral standards that would govern our behavior. Sort of like what Daryl was talking about in England uh, when, when, all the, when the God was pushed out of people's lives. Uh, the promotion of cohabitation before marriage, we talked about a little bit last week. Um, all those things have resulted in the easy and often guiltless abuse of a blessing that God designed for us to enjoy, a sexual relationship uh, with a spouse. And the result of that is destroyed marriages, addictions, unwanted pregnancies, abortion, all because we just have not followed God's, we've abused uh, a, a desire that our flesh has and not enjoyed it in the way God wants us to enjoy it. What are other things our flesh wants that Satan uses to tempt us? Maybe it's not sex. Maybe it's not food. Uh, how about R&R? Or R&R&R? &R &R? Rest, relaxation, and recreation. You know, I, I think one of the biggest hindrances to, uh, to serving Christ today is our culture's obsession with relaxing and recreation. It's all about, our life seems to be all about recreation, doing things that we enjoy 24-7. You know, in many communities, sports are now being played on Sundays during church time. Travel teams are going all over the place uh, on the weekends, including Sundays. Uh, people are choosing to, to feed their desire for sports for themselves and their, and their children, and as a result, they're neglecting worship on Sundays with their church family. Others sleep in to, to rest and relax on Sunday mornings or, or make frequent trips to the beach uh, or plan family cookouts during worship time, neglecting that worship time um, and, and neglecting being around the Lord's table, which is such an important thing. For many, serving God in, in worship or in ministry uh, as, as we are involved in, in, in ministry in our church uh, takes a back seat to our flesh's desire to take it easy, take it easy. I only, only have two days on the weekend. i got to take advantage of it. After 40 days, Jesus' body wanted food. Can you imagine uh, being that long without eating? And his body did need food. You know, if he had continued that forever, it would have killed him. But it, he didn't need food the way Satan suggested it. So it was a challenge for Jesus to meet his flesh's need for food in the right way, in the right way. And that's our challenge too, isn't it? Um, you know, when our flesh has a desire, it, the challenge is to meet that need in the right way, in God's way. Here's what Jesus did. He quoted a truth from Scripture. Um, verse 4 it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, or part of it, uh, where Moses is, is reminding Israel in the desert to you know, rely on God, not yourself. And Moses said this to the children of Israel. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither of you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. 
basically, Jesus is telling Satan, you know, there's more, there's more to life than pleasing your flesh and just doing what feels good. You know, if I humble myself before God, he'll provide what I need. Uh, in, in this case, it was food. I, I must put my trust in him, desire his word first, and the proper view, the proper view of fleshly desires will become clear when we know what that proper view is and put our trust in God. The key is feeding our hearts and our minds with the word of God. Again, Going back to what Daryl said, it happened in England. The Word of God was the key to turning uh, your life around, making, making the Word of God your priority, understanding what it says, the direction it gives. And then it'll be much easier to see the dangers uh, that, that, that are in some of the ways that we try to please our flesh when we understand God's Word and then compare that to what our flesh wants. Here's some things that we discover when we feed on God's Word. Food is given for us to enjoy and nourish our bodies, not to be overindulged in or used in unhealthy ways to the point that our bodies suffer. And when our bodies are suffering, then that hinders us from serving God. can't serve God if you're not healthy. God designed us to desire and enjoy sex but only within the bonds of marriage. That's the only place God wants us to enjoy that. And that's both in practice and in our hearts, in what we think about, our minds. And if we have convinced ourselves of anything else when it comes to sex, then we have fallen into Satan's trap. And so many people today have, even Christians. And yes, we need time to relax and play. I sure do, and I know you do too. Um, All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, right? It's true, it's true. The Jews had a whole day every week to rest. It was called the Sabbath. God commanded them to do it. Stop working. I command you to stop working and rest. And they did, and they also worshiped uh, during that day too. Jesus himself, we read over and over how he regularly took time to rest. He would go off by himself and pray. But R and R and R should never come at the expense of serving God. That needs to come first in our lives. These things and more become clear when we feed regularly on God's word. The second temptation Jesus faced begins with verse 5. Let's read that. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The temptation of Jesus by Satan could be categorized here as the boastful pride of life. Let's take a look at at what Satan was up to here. What was he trying to to pull over on Jesus? According to to, to biblical scholar, pastor, and Bible college professor Mark Moore, uh, it was a Jewish tradition that the the Jews sort of had this understanding that the Messiah, when he came, would miraculously and spectacularly appear on the top of the temple. 
Now, this isn't necessarily something that was in Scripture, but it was just a traditional belief that Jews had at that time. The Messiah would miraculously appear at the pinnacle of the temple. Satan is suggesting that Jesus do just that, what the people were expecting anyway. Uh, appear on the highest point of the temple, wait until everybody's watching, maybe and say, hey, up here, oh, everybody up here. Wait till everybody's watching, and then dramatically throw yourself down off the top. Everybody will gasp and cry and anticipate you splattering all over the, the, the pavement down below. But then just at the last minute, a host of angels would run in and scoop you up and save you just in the nick of time. Man, what a sight that would be. Set you gently down on the ground, totally unharmed. Woo! What a sight that would be, right? And if he did that, he would instantly be proclaimed by all who saw it as the promised Messiah. And they'd go tell their friends, guess what we saw today? It's the Messiah. He fell down from the temple and was saved at the last minute. There would be no need for all that ministry stuff that Jesus was going to go through. All the teaching and the parables, the healings, the lessons taught to the disciples. There wouldn't be any need for all that stuff. Just instant, instant Savior, instant fame, boom. At least for those who were there. Jesus, you could have all the recognition your human pride could ever want right now. Just throw yourself down. That'd be kind of tempting, don't you think? To, you know, the rush of falling, you know, we've all been, many of us have been on roller coasters. You know how that feels when you're, woo! That, he would have felt that rush of falling and, and knowing that he wasn't going to die and, and the exhilaration of being scooped up by the angels, the gratification of all the instant fame and the applause and the cheering. Satan here even quotes some scripture himself, part of Psalm 91 verse 11, as he misuses scripture with Jesus. But Jesus didn't come to be a famous, spectacular hero that everybody bowed down to worship because of some great thing that he did. No, we read in Jesus' own words in Matthew 20 verse 28, Jesus said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served or to be cheered by some some." feet of jumping no but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many that's why he came jesus had a lot of work to do if he's going to be our savior um, he had a lot of serving to do and his, and his ministry was just getting started here he had a lot of serving to do before he would be recognized by all as the messiah he had to choose the 12 disciples. He needed someone to carry on the work after he left. And he had to choose and train, teach the disciples to, to, to understand what their role in the kingdom of God was. He had, to, he had to live out his life without sinning. That was vital. His whole life, and what if it started out with a sin of just a prideful sin? That would be no good. He had to die, but not, he had to die. And of course, he wouldn't have died falling off the temple, but he, dying was important if he was going to pay for our sin. He had to rise from the dead if he was going to defeat death. You see, the plan for Jesus was already set. The road to travel was marked out for him. 
He couldn't just throw it all away for some brief moment of praise. To do this would have been to disobey his father for selfish pride. You know, pride is a sin that probably, if we're honest, we all have committed. You know? But here's the thing. I, I think, do we really worry about pride? You know, is that a, is that a thing for us uh, that we worry about, we're concerned about? The sin of pride can affect us in many ways. Um, it, it makes us feel superior to others, basically. You know, we look at someone and we say, you know, I'm so much better than them. I'm so much better than them. I, I'm better looking. <laughs> I'm smarter. I'm wiser. I'm holier. I'm richer. I'm better off. And often because we hold ourselves higher than others, we, we fail to see them the way God sees them. When, when people are below us, we neglect them, we ignore them, we judge them, we forget that they're even there. We don't even notice them when they're below us. The homeless person on the corner, you know, they're not important. Why, why should I help them? They're just lazy anyway. Why don't they get a job? Uh, pride being wrapped up in ourselves too much can keep the poor and the unfortunate off of our caring radar. We don't even think about them. How about that annoying person at work? Everybody, you're thinking of, you're thinking of that person right now, right? <laughs> you, you know who I'm talking about, that annoying person at work. What do we say about them? I'm so glad I'm, I'm not them. I'm so, be, I'm so much better than they are. Yeah, I, I, I'm so much nicer than they are. Boy, they're not nice, but I sure am. Unlike them, I'm not annoying. People like me. They like being around me, not like them. Pride can keep us from caring about and praying for annoying people. (laughs) And they're out there. They're out there. We're so busy being better than them uh, that, that we fail to care about them. Pray for them. And besides, do annoying people even know they're annoying? Maybe we're annoying and we don't even know it. Pride can keep us from sharing our faith. You know, I don't want people to think I'm, you know, some weird person, one of those religious people. I don't want people to think of me like that. What are they going to think if I start up a conversation about Christ? Uh, I don't want people to, to look at me strangely or avoid me because I want to talk about Jesus sometimes. What did Jesus do when he faced the temptation to give in to pride? Well, he, verse 7, Jesus answered him, It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You know, again, Jesus quotes scripture uh, as he does each time. And he's saying basically, look, Satan, my father has a plan and it has nothing to do with spectacular temple dives. (laughs) I'm going to honor his plan. And you would do good to do the same thing, Satan. Don't test God with your own ideas. Worship and follow him. You know, when we're tempted by pride, we could remember passages like Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 7. The Apostle Paul wrote, he said, Do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. All others, not just uh, certain others, but all others better than yourself. Each of you should n- look not... A, not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. 
Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Every time we're tempted to judge someone as less than ourselves, um, first, remember, that's a sin. That's what pride is. If you've ever done that, hmm, I'm better than them, you just sinned, the sin of pride. Remember that it's a sin. And then remember this, this passage, passages like this Philippian passage. Qu- learn it, memorize it, quote it. And then pray for your attitude and pray for the person you just thought you were better than. Pray for them. A great way to lessen yourself is to lift others up. And you can do that by reaching out to them, by Sharing with the poor. You guys talked about that in Sunday school a little bit today. Um, Be kind and loving to the unlovely. Remembering a verse like this can can help us care more about a person's soul than our reputation or our comfort. If they don't know about Jesus, they're going to be lost. We can remember that. Lord, help me to think more about them and less about me. And... Look for a chance to have a conversation with them about about Christ. And then the third temptation that Jesus faced begins with verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I give you, I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now here Jesus faces what could be called the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. Uh, to desire something that we see with our eyes in a sinful way. Now, for Jesus, it was the world. It was the world. Satan took uh, Jesus to this high place somewhere near Jerusalem, don't know exactly where, where he, could, uh, he was shown either by a vision, the literal whole world, or more likely uh, he, was, he was shown um, the, just the general area that surrounded him that, that represented the whole world. Look at everything that you see, all the people that you see walking around. Uh, and, and Satan is offering to give all of that up, all these people that Jesus could see, he's, he's, he's offering to give it all up if Jesus will just bow down and worship him. And the Greek verb indicates that Satan only means one time, just one time, Jesus. Bow down and worship me one time, and all this is yours. All this is yours. You know, we might ask, could Satan even offer that, the, the people, to Jesus? You know, well, Satan did have temporary dominion over the earth. Um, although it was limited, he did have some, some control over people's lives. He was always you know, tempting and bugging people and uh, uh, trying to convince them to commit a sin in people's lives. And, and uh, unless something was done about their sin, Satan knew that every human being uh, who is lost in their sin would spend eternity in hell with him, and he wants to take as many with him as possible. Um, So if he chose to, if Satan chose to, think about this, he could have just relinquished his influence on people's lives. He could have just stopped messing with people. (laughs) Look at all you see there, Jesus. All these people, see all these people out there? Your precious world, your precious people that you love so much. You know, 
I promise you, I will leave them alone. I'll, I'll give up the prowling and the tempting. I'll do that if, if you'll just one time bow down and worship me, and they're all yours. I'll be out of their life. Now, how tempting must that have been, maybe, to Jesus? You know, Satan's power would be gone from people's lives. You know, that would be nice to have, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be great if, if we didn't have to worry about being tempted by Satan anymore? And, and, and for Jesus, all I have to do just this once is bow down and worship you. I don't even have to really mean it. <laughs> so tempting to take what he saw on that high place. And on the surface, it sounds almost worth it if you think about it. But Jesus was wiser than that. He was wiser than just the moment there. For one thing, the relief of Satan's influence would not stop sin. I mean, Satan, Satan doesn't make us sin, like Geraldine said. Uh, Satan does not make us sin. We choose to sin. Now, he might tempt us and dangle things in front of us. Hey, why don't you try this? But we make the choice to sin, to lie, to click on that adult website, to, to think of ourselves as better than others. Um, you know, we make the choice to do that. Satan doesn't make us do that. And Jesus knew that even if Satan did stop tempting us, sin would still be in our lives. He, he would, we would still struggle with the weaknesses that our flesh has. And re remember, all it takes is one sin, one sin to separate us from God. <laughs> and all of us have committed many more than that. We would have had relief from Satan's temptation, but not from sin. That still needed to be dealt with. And, and it could only be dealt with if Jesus remained sinless. If he had started off his ministry bowing down to Satan, it would all be over as far as him being our Savior. On the surface, what Jesus saw looked nice, appealing. But Jesus wisely looked beyond what he saw with his eyes. And made the wise choice. You know, Satan loves to tempt you and me to sin by what we see, doesn't he? As <laughs> a husband and wife, they were shopping uh, out at the store one day. And, and uh, as they're standing there, the, the husband sees this beautiful girl walk by. And he follows her all the way as she passes by. And his wife, who's reading the sales paper, uh, she says, Was that worth the trouble you're in? Most of the time, lust of the flesh sins begin with lust of the eyes, right? We don't start off committing adultery. It starts with what we see and something that we want that we shouldn't have. And there are lots to see in our culture, isn't it? Especially when it comes to sexual immorality around us. Still others may, may lust after other things like money or material things that they see. According to the Federal Reserve, consumer debt in the U.S. is nearly $2.4 trillion, or $7,800 for every man, woman, and child, not counting um, a mortgage debt. You know, our eyes desire to gain wealth and the things of this world and, and results in the misuse of what God has blessed us with. While income could, could be used to help those in need or help out the kingdom of God, you know, it's used to purchase things that we can't afford, uh, for our own pleasure, 
often keeping us from then serving God in the process because we've got to work to pay for it. Lust of the eyes is the lie that tells us, you know what, over there, it's better. The grass is greener over there. If I just had that, boy, life would be so much better. If I could just have that, that latest gadget, uh, if, if I could have a bigger house, if I could have the, that better job, if I could have a different wife or a different husband or a different church, man, then, then life would be better, so much better. If I could just have that that I don't have now. And what are we willing to do to get whatever's over there on the other side? What will we have to abandon in our life to get that? You know, I know I shouldn't miss church every Sunday, uh, but, you know, i got to pay for all this stuff. And this is a good-paying job. I, I, I'm not buying her. I'm, I'm just window shopping. I'm just window shopping. i, I got to have that house. Man, it's going to take every penny that I earn and even more. Uh, I won't be able to tithe anymore. I won't be able to, to help the, those who are in need. But i got to have that house. Jesus again quoted scripture here. Verse 10, Jesus said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I have one master, and it's my Father in heaven, Jesus said. Your promise is empty, and it's a lie. Get away from me. Get away from me, Satan. And at least for that moment, Satan left. Satan left. So often the things we lust for, for with our eyes, the promise that things are greener over there is a lie promoted by Satan, just like G he did with Jesus, or, or maybe a salesman, which is sometimes the same thing, right? The grass, you know what? We know this. The grass is rarely greener over there. You know, it, it's rarely better over there. That other thing that we don't have, when we get it, you know, if we're unhappy and unsatisfied where we are, most likely we're going to be unhappy and unsatisfied there too. It always works that way. You know, if, but if we put God first in our lives, we, we can learn the secret of resisting the lust of the eyes. And it's called contentment. Man, what a blessing contentment is. If you can ever develop that. Paul wrote about it in Philippians 4, 12 through 13. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do anything, everything through him who gives me strength. I can deal with whatever comes my way. Through him who gives me strength, when my eyes are on him and not on stuff. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. You want to be happy? Find a way to become content where you are, where you are. That's great gain. Put, fast, put, put God first. Learn his ways. Commit your life to serving him and the things of this world will seem less important. I don't, I don't need that to be happy. I don't need those things. Commit your life to serving others before yourself. And Satan's temptation to indulge will be far less appealing if our minds are on others rather than ourselves. You know, 
as Jesus demonstrated, you and I, uh, we can never totally get rid of Satan in our lives. He's always going to be lurking around. But Jesus proved in the desert that if we send him away over and over and over again, uh, he'll go. <laughs> get away from me, Satan, and he'll leave. Now, he'll come back, but he'll leave you if you're, if you're prepared for him, if you're prepared for him. And the only way to do that is by daily feeding our minds and our hearts with God's word. Understanding, like Jesus was ready with the scripture, boom. Uh, and, and we need to be ready too. And prayer, you know, God, give me strength today to, uh, to, to not be so, um, so, uh, so desirous of whatever is out there trying to tempt me. Um, Receive encouragement, encouragement uh, from each other as we gather together on times like this on Sundays and, and other times that we meet, like Wednesday nights when we share in a fellowship and meal and then we study God's Word together. Being involved in a ministry of some kind and gathering with your ministry team and just being encouraged by each other, lifting each other up. Um, hearing and listening to the Holy Spirit that is inside of every single one of us. And yielding our lives to him. When he reminds us, Mark, don't look over there. Don't look at that. You don't need that. You don't need that. You can be content without that. Listening to his prompting. Satan is powerful. He is. But we serve one who is more powerful. We serve one who is more powerful. So let's get closer to him. And like Jesus, you will be victorious. And you can send Satan packing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for uh, the chance we had to, uh, in Scripture to, to read stories like this of Jesus' encounter with Satan. Sometimes we, we don't think about and we forget about the fact that Jesus was human. And he was tempted in every way, the Scripture says, that we are. Uh, and he overcame it. He, he had the strength to overcome it. And we might think sometimes, well, Lord, yeah, of course, he was the Son of God. Um, but he, he could have given in. He could have given in. And he gives us the power, the same power he had when we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and the power of your word and the power of each other uh, when we serve together. And so help us to, to learn from Jesus uh, how important it is to resist the, the, the devil and resist the desires of our flesh and, and do things your way. Life will be so much better for us in so many ways. Um, so, so give us the strength that we need uh, and the desire uh, to, to turn the devil away every day. So, Father, thank you for this time and this lesson from Jesus. We ask all this in his name. Amen.